Good morning, Nachum. Good day of Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kisisa. Parshas Kisisa, according to the Chinuch, contains nine mitzvos, four positive, <clears throat> and five restrictions. It is also the third of the four special parshios that we have annually between Ador and Nisan. This Shabbos is Parshas Pora, which, please God, I hope, will be able to connect a interesting connection between the two Parshios. There's no question, but one of the central themes of Parshas Kisisa is that of the Chet or Egel, the sin of the golden calf. To appreciate the severity of the sin, one has to look at the environment in which this sin was committed and the resulting consequences that ensued therefrom. To begin with, there's a very important Rashi found in Kisisa. Literally, it's the first Pasuk of the second Aliyah. On the Pasuk Vayitain El Moshe, whereby the Torah is then going to go in the next Pasuk into the details of the golden calf and how it happened. So Rashi tells us very important. Ein Muktam Umulchar Batorah. The Torah is not necessarily written in a chronological order, namely that the way it appears in the text is not always the way it actually occurred. In other words, the, in the text you have, after Mishpatim, Parshios Truma and Titzaveh, which we've been reading the last two weeks, which have been giving us the details of the mitzvah to construct a mishkan, a sanctuary. And then, this week, we have the sin of the golden calf. Comes Rashi and tells us, Ma'aseh ho'egel kodem letzivui melechas ha-mishkan. That in reality, the egel happened a lot before the command to build a sanctuary. And Rashi goes on to explain that. Sharei Biyud Zayin Tammuz, on the 17th of Tammuz, we fast, one of the reasons being because Nishtabru Aluchos, because Moshe broke the tablets. So, listen carefully. From Yud Zayin Tammuz until Yom Kippur, which is when Hashem forgave the Jewish people, and Hashem then said, on the morrow, okay, Moshe, tell the people to build a sanctuary. So the Egel came first. And according to Rashi, not only did it come first, but the only reason why we have a sanctuary is because of the Egel. What does that mean? It means that the Jewish people showed they needed something tangible. Ah, you need something tangible. Okay. V'osuli mikdash v'shochanti b'socham. Make for me a building, make for me a sanctuary that can be uh, the focus of your worship, 
Okay? So the idea is without the sin of the golden calf, what would have been just like we find at the end of Parshas Yisro. Bechol HaMakom Asher which means wherever man would call to Hashem, Hashem would respond. We would not have needed a Mishkan if not for the Chaito Egel. That is Rashi. Secondly, just to appreciate the severity as to what the Egel happened and caused, the Gemara in Shabbos, Kuf, Mem, Vav Amar Aleph 146a teaches that when the Nochash, the serpent, persuaded Chava to eat of the forbidden fruit in Gan Eden, he seduced her and cast Zuhama, impurity, into her, and this Zuhama was then passed on to future generations. At Sinai, the Jewish people were cleansed of this impurity and returned to their original uncontaminated state. Amazing, meaning that there was actually a taste of Gan Eden, but this unfortunately was lost with their idolatry with the Egel. Unbelievable. And finally, the Medrashtan Chuma in this week's parsha, in chapter 16, teaches in the name of Rev Nechemia that when the Torah describes the Luchos, which were personally designed by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the Torah says it was Chorus Ala Luchos, understood to be related to Cheiros, understood as freedom. Reb Nechemia says, what does it mean, freedom min amisa, from death? Had the Jewish people not sinned with the golden calf, they would have returned to the days of Gan Eden and been granted immortality. So it is literally mind-boggling that we don't appreciate the severity of the sin of the golden calf. Now, in light of the above, the Jewish nation would have been satisfied if Hashem would have only restored the relationship that He had with the people prior to their sin. And indeed, throughout the parsha, Moshe is pleading with Hashem, that he not send an angel to lead the Jewish people, but rather that Hashem himself should be in their midst. There should be hashro'as hashchina of Hashem himself. And Hashem responds to Moshe's prayers and provides him, first of all, with the formula of approaching Hashem in the future should circumstances occur that require divine rapprochement, bringing us back together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, namely the 13 attributes of mercy, the Yud Gimel, Midos Orachamim, Hashem Hashem, Keorachum V'chanun, that we said on 
Tanis Esther. What immediately follows is a startling pronouncement. Hashem says, I am literally sealing a covenant. What does that mean? I am going to, in front of the entire people, I shall make niflaos, distinctions. Ashelonivru, that have never been created in the entire world among all the other nations. Now what do these niflaos, great wonders that Hashem is promising, refer to? So the Vilna Gaon, in his commentary, Aderes Eliyahu on the Torah, teaches that it refers to the restoration of the Ananei Kavod, the clouds of glory. He continues, and he says that though we find that the Anan accompanied the Jewish people when they left Egypt, that was only temporary till they reached Yamsuf. Moreover, the Anan at that time did not protect the entire nation, only the Nevi'im Shebahem, the prophets among them. And now the Anani Kavod, the clouds representing Hashem's promise, will be over the entire nation. And thus we find in Bamidbar that the nations are going to say, Wow, Asher Ayim Ba'ayim. Literally, it appears that everybody can see that Hashem's cloud is over you. Okay? And therefore, when the Jewish people traveled for 40 years in the desert, it was a most remarkable privilege for them, and it was the envy of all the nations that the Nane Kovod, the clouds of glory, were above them. Now, what I find most interesting is the upgrade in the relationship between Hashem and His nation. Now, it's most interesting to note that just as in interpersonal relationships, a husband and wife, after undergoing a challenging crisis, there are times that the relationship between the couple can become even deeper, even stronger. And this is what happened after the Cheto Egel, there was a greater manifestation of Hashem's love for B'nai Yisrael. In reality, this is portraying what the Gemara teaches in Brachos 34b, B'makom Shabale Tshuva Omdim, at a place where the penitents, those who did Tshuva, those who repented, stand Tzadikim Gemurim, the completely righteous, Einam cannot and do not stand. The Baal is on a higher level. And several reasons are suggested for this. One, either the Baal is superior, because it's harder for him to control his Yetzir Hara, his evil inclination, than it is for the Chassid Me'ula, the perfectly righteous individual who never became accustomed to sin, or secondly, the process of tshuva requires contrition and hodo'ah and busha, admission 
of some guilt and wrongdoing which humbles the individual and allows for a greater closeness with his maker. The overcoming of the negative behavior that the Bauchuva experience is much more challenging than the righteous individual who's not tempted by sin. And finally, you could even say that the high station of the Bauchuva is due to the fact that he has experienced Sayato Dishmaya, divine assistance in his journey of Chuva. And so, if you take a step back, the broader picture of the sin of the golden calf ends with a message, as the Gemara in Avodah Zorah, Davdalit Amabez says, Come on, this never could have, should have happened. Why did Hashem allow it to happen? We had free will, but why did He not stop it? Three words, Lahoros Tshuva Lorabim, to teach the community, then and all future communities in Israel, that Shuva can be done even by a community, not just an individual, and that this tshuva is most welcome, and it does produce extraordinary results, as seen by the niflaos, these wonders, the anani kavod, that followed the chait of the egel. And I believe, my friends, that there's a similar powerful message that comes from the second Torah reading, namely Pasha's Parah. The rabbis ordained that we read annually chapter 19 of Bamidbar before Pesach as a fulfillment of What does that mean? That our lips should recite and study the laws of the various korbanos, offerings, that we can't actually do because we don't have a base on Migdash, but it should be looked upon by Hashem as if we actually brought the carbon. Now, unfortunately, we do not have the third base Hamigdash yet. We don't have the Pora Aduma yet to enable us to purify ourselves. However, the reading of this Perek, Imba Midbar, Pasha's Chukas, has to inspire us with the surety that shortly we will be privileged to have that which we are pining for. And as the Navi Malachi says in Perik Zion, Pasuk Tezvav, Ki Eretz Mitzrayim Erenu Niflaos. As in the days when you left Egypt, I will show Niflaos. There it is again, wonders. The Navi speaks about the Niflos, the wonders that will come in the future days of Mashiach. Now note how Perik Zion concludes. The Navi concludes this Perik, and indeed his book, by citing the three familiar psukim, beginning with Mikhail Kamocha, which we know is a paraphrase of the Yud Gimel Midos of Rachamim, which is Hashem's welcoming response to our forthcoming tshuva. Beneath the surface in Parshas Porah, what is the Torah teaching us? Teaching us that commensurate with the quality of our tshuva will be the great wonders and the neflaos that we will experience, we pray, 
in the very near future. If you just open your eyes to Parshas Para and Parshas Kisisa, the Torah is teaching us the best is yet to come. Shabbat Shalom to all.